Well, it's good to be here. I, you've seen us on occasion probably along the way. I think I was here for a men's breakfast a while back. And then uh, our granddaughter Tessa was married here just a few months ago, I guess, August, something like that. Uh, but it's a privilege to be with you. It's always fun to come down and visit with Brenda and Kurt and Natalie's the one at home right now. So uh, we're thankful for all of them. We've spent a number of years in in Cortland, New York, where their older kids grew up. And uh, so now we have just Natalie to uh, bother when we come down to visit. But uh, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit today about thankfulness, since it is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, a liturgical church calendar, but the Sunday usually the Sunday before Advent. So this year, all four Sundays of Advent, preparation for Christmas, are in December. So uh, next Sunday is actually Christ the King Sunday. That's its label. It's the last Sunday of the church year. Advent always begins a new calendar. So this is the Sunday before, and I'm, I'm just preempting uh, this. I'm going to call this Christ the King Sunday, uh, if that's all right with you. Well, if, even if it isn't, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, as you know, Thanksgiving a holiday, uh, it's an opportunity for us to give thanks, uh, to be with family, to be with friends. And uh, it is can be a time of sorrow when you have family that uh, is gone or you're not able to be there. But for all of us, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, uh, you remember that we live in a kingdom of thankfulness. We're under the rule of a sovereign king. Now that's a bit of a shock to our Western and American minds because we've been steeped in individualism. We're steeped in the idea that we have personal rights. Now to say that I have a king is a little different. And I believe with all my heart that you can't really know true thankfulness unless you have surrendered to the rule of the sovereign king, Jesus Christ. So even though this calendar may not be Christ the King Sunday, let's think about living in a kingdom with a sovereign king. And it seems to me appropriate to take one of the kings of the Old Testament, uh, King David, and uh, see what he said and how he expressed himself uh, towards this king. Now, his writings are evident in many Psalms. Uh, you read them quite often. You have some of them memorized. You know what King David said uh, in some of his Psalms. But today I want to look at a prayer that is recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now, we're going to get there in just a bit. Uh, but there's a little bit of a review I want to do in the Old Testament, and I'm going to look at First Chronicles 28 just to give you an idea of what's coming. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, First and Second Chronicles are not a new writing of their own. They're a repeat and an enrichment of what's in First and Second Kings. So when you read First Chronicles, you can go back to First Kings and get an idea of what's happening. Now, in uh, First Chronicles 28, uh, David declares, he says this, I want to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now, that's what he wanted to do in his heart. But God said to him, you're not the man to build this house because you're a warrior and you have blood on your hands. 
So according to the word of God, the building was to be done by Solomon. So if you were to look a little further in 1 Chronicles 28, about verses 9 and 10, Solomon is charged with the task of building this place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant, the temple. Now, David says that he's has the plans that the Spirit had put in his mind. So David was eager to prepare as much building material as possible, and he wanted to uh, call all of his leaders that they would voluntarily give to the support of this project. And as David now is coming to the end of his life, uh, at the end of First Chronicles chapter 29, the last verse talks about David dying and going on into glory. But David says that God has given him the plans for the temple, and he commissions Solomon, his son, for the job of building it. So in the first eight verses of First Chronicles 29, uh, you get a list of David's personal gifts and the gifts of the leaders. But uh, we're not going to read that. We're going to pick up at verse 9 in First Chronicles, and uh, that will come up on the, on the slides a little bit later as I repeat them. But I want to read the whole section uh, this morning, First uh, Chronicles 29. So if you have your phone or your Bible and you want to look that up, you can do that. First Chronicles 29, starting at verse 9. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and the power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. The word of the Lord that you've heard, and now may the Holy Spirit apply it to our hearts and minds as we look at his scripture this morning. Now the people are rejoicing and David is rejoicing at the generosity God has inspired. The leaders have given wholeheartedly and without restraint as David has challenged them. And David begins to pray this prayer of thanksgiving and praise. As the king, now picture this, David stands before the whole assembly of people and he leads them in worship. This is their king. Keep in mind what he's doing at this time of history. If you go to the end of 2 Samuel and the 1 Kings 1, you'll see that David is dying and he's appointed Solomon to be king. But in the middle of that, one of his sons tries to take the kingdom. So there is a situation developing here in which a transition is taking place. But King David is failing in health. He's experiencing the increasing disability of aging. Any of you experiencing that? You know, you get a little older, things change a little bit. But one era of leadership is fading, and the other one is coming. But guess what? God is in control. 
And he has given his blessing to Solomon as the chosen successor to David as king of Israel. So there is nothing for them to fear in this change. But there's many things to be thankful about. And we might keep that in mind for our current situation, politically, worldwide, geographically, culturally. There's nothing to be afraid of because God is in control. It's a kingdom of thankfulness as Christians. And so we are thankful. So, but I want you to think about what it's like to have a king. And you know, we're, we're Americans uh, and we're uh, steeped in the idea of, of a president. Some countries have prime ministers, some are dictators. Uh, we happen to have several houses of Congress. But I wonder if we can identify with a king. Now, <laughs> kings are sovereign rules. You know, we, it means that they're the final and only arbiter of justice. A truly sovereign king requires obedience. You don't have the option of stating a disagreement or desire to do something differently. Usually, disobedience to a king is dealt with rather severely. When the king speaks or gives direction, everyone quickly and passionately does what he wants. A sovereign king refuses to share his glory. The king will not tolerate anyone trying to steal the show from him. It would be a capital offense to deliberately attempt to act like the king. Can you imagine that? Someone dressing as the king, parading in the front of the people as the king, dressed in his robes, acting with his authority, taking all the recognition from him. No one would do that and live very long, would they? A truly sovereign king protects his subjects. A king knows his kingdom is dependent on the subjects, so he does all within his power to protect them, to provide for their needs. You understand that no king rules very long if he does not act to protect his people or the borders of his kingdom. That's his responsibility. He's the king. Now, a sovereign king also plans for the future, the future of his kingdom. There's no one else who will take that responsibility for him. It's his alone to plan for the future, to foresee all the needs and respect, expect the dangers to come. That's the king's problem. That's what he's supposed to do. But if the king is truly sovereign, then his subjects are safe and can live with thankfulness without fear because that king is sovereign and he's in charge. So as a Christian now, we live in what we would call a kingdom of thankfulness. And to live in that kingdom, it means we remember the past blessings. Now, David begins his prayer with recognition of God's sovereign provision through the nation of Jacob or Israel. And that would be fully described back in 1 Chronicles 28. The praise is everlasting. God as Father is everlasting. The history of the people of God is glorious. Remember the Old Testament, he brought them through slavery, deliverance, receiving the covenant of the grace of the law, experienced the protection of God through the wilderness wanderings and the establishment of the nation through Joshua, Samuel, Saul, and now David transitioning to Solomon. That whole history is due to the sovereign plan and action 
of a sovereign, almighty God. This is how he begins his prayer. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. <clears throat> the praise and the spirit of thankfulness that David expresses rests in the memories of what God has done for Israel. God identifies himself when he comes to his people as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, reminding them of the fact that he has delivered them from slavery, given them a land to live in, and part of their memories include times of judgment and fairly severe judgment, fairly gory judgment, if you read about it in the book of Judges. But the past is just a foundation for what God is about to do through Solomon. David has no intention of saying the best days are already gone. So forget what God has done for us. He tells Solomon that he should be courageous and strong and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God. My God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. In other words, you don't have anything to fear until you have completed the job God has given you. A spirit of thankfulness allows us to remember the past, its blessings and its problems without dwelling on the past or living with the memories of the good old days. Hmm. That's a temptation, isn't it? That comes along with change and times of transition because we resent changes. We tend to look back. Sometimes we remember with longing what it was like, what God did then. Oh, it was so great to worship in those days. You see, Sometimes we forget that God is now and coming. He's doing a new thing. God even declares a sovereign plan with the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 42 of Isaiah, he says, the former things have taken place. You know, the new things I declare, behold, they spring up. And I will tell you of them. I announce them to you. So that's something for us to keep in mind. Jesus Christ is the king. In this kingdom of thankfulness, the past is remembered, but it does not limit the present. There are two things to guide the remembrance of the past. First of all, the spirit of thankfulness lives with a spirit of forgiveness. As one remembers the past, it does no good to recall bitter experiences unless forgiveness is the guide for that memory. Forgiveness is what Jesus did for us. He forgave all of our sins. Forgiveness is the only thing that prevents a life-withering spirit of bitterness. Secondly, the past is remembered with an attitude of humility. You and I don't have a claim to our successes except that God has given us the ability and guided us in our lives, in our work, and given us the ability to succeed. Only by his grace and mercy have we achieved anything worth reward. So the attitude of forgiveness and humility are possible when we admit that God is in control. He's the king of this kingdom of thankfulness. Not only do we remember, but we recognize the fact that God is sovereign. 
Now, when I make the statement about the sovereignty of God is recognized, I mean the fact that his rule in the entire universe is absolute. No one else rules. When we admit that and we surrender to that, we live with faith with that in mind. Now, if you look at David, he's been king for, what, 40 years? And he's had all of the power and the prestige, all of the wealth of a king. But he recognizes that what he has done has come from the hand of God. So if you think about it, listen to this description that he gives there in those verses. David as king is saying, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor because everything in heaven and on earth is yours. David, in a spirit of thankfulness, admits his record as king to God, saying all the recognition he has received, all the riches he has accumulated, all the splendor accorded to his throne are all because of God's sovereign hand. Think of it. Wouldn't it be a marvelous change in our political arena today if every candidate credited God with their success? Enough said. Shouldn't each of us be thankful that God's gracious hand, that we have life, that we are living, that we have work, God is with us. When the national leadership was transitioning from David to Solomon, it was clear that each person needed to recognize that God was in control of that situation and he sovereignly saw what was happening and said Solomon's going to be king, regardless of what the attempts were of other people. It would certainly be to our relief if we could rest in the faith that God has it all in hand. We need not worry or be afraid in transitions or change. But David continues his recognition of God's sovereign nature with these next words. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. It is a terrible twist of power that we see in the world today. Uh, one faction of extremists see the sovereign rule of God as the motivation behind their violence. Another group sees their power as proof that they're better than you are. Others see their power as their right. Others see their power as a reward for being richer and more cruel than others. But none of the kingdoms of this world recognize the sovereign rule of God. They spend great amounts of money and time declaring that they rule because they are the most powerful and the best. But David states the truth here by giving God the praise for having all power, wealth, and honor. And God has the will and the ability to exalt or tear down governments or to give strength to all people. 
Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which is God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So, even though we contest and we debate and we criticize those with political or social power, we find ourselves as Christians in a kingdom of thankfulness that recognizes the sovereign rule of God. We do not fear what man might do, and we do not fear transitions or changes, whether it's in politics or culture, because we recognize that God is in ultimate control. With a thankful spirit, we give honor and praise to our sovereign God. We admit by faith that He is in control. And by faith, we surrender to His plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we surrender to His control of our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So whatever happens to us in this life, we are learning to be thankful for His providence and His promises. And that's what brings rejoicing. A kingdom of thankfulness rejoices in the promises of God. And David ends his prayer, that section of his prayer, with the idea that God is sovereign. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. See the response to the fact that God has the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, the splendor, the honor, the wealth, the strength. Our response is rejoicing. Now, David could rejoice because after all his efforts, he found actually that God did a pretty good job of keeping his promises. David could rest in the fact that God was sovereign. His purposes would be completed. Now, David had asked his leaders to give toward the supply of materials for the temple. They responded with generosity. David could have demanded, you're going to give this. Could have demanded their cooperation, but he left that to God, and a spirit of generosity ruled. There was more than enough given. Perhaps one of the difficulties of our lives today is a thought that I control, this is mine. Our desire to control the events of our lives. Perhaps we could learn from David about trusting God to accomplish what he has in mind. Oh, that we would ask God for his direction. There's great relief in resting in the faith that God is God and I am not. Think about the promises of our sovereign God. The first, as he promises, is security. A number of verses here, only one, I think, on the, on the slide there. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1, 5, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said what? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You want a sure thing in this world? Trust in the sovereign God, 
He's the maker of the universe who gives us the privilege of being his people through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only is there that sense of security, but part of that is a sense of belonging. One of the innate needs for every one of us is to belong, to be a part of something that is larger than the self. And God promises that to us through Jesus. You know these verses so well. John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next couple of verses, John 1.12, he says, to everyone who receives him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right the authority to be called the children of God. <clears throat> Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in John's revelation of Christ, chapter 3, verse 20, <clears throat> Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. You see, God offers love, mercy, salvation, and that means security. It means we belong to him. And that security, that belonging gives us rest, gives us peace and joy as we face the transition changes trials, even terrors of this life. Because that's life, isn't it? Things change. So how do we fit into this picture? As Christians, <clears throat> we're believers who live after the age of the resurrection of Jesus. You know and believe that part of his title is Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And every time you say the Lord's Prayer, you say that, you know, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in us, in earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. Think of that. Our relationship to Jesus is not simply as a Savior, oh, as wonderful and miraculous as that is. We relate to him as our king. Those verses in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, they declare that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven on earth, and I don't know if you remember this phrase, and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when we surrender our hearts to Jesus, we name him as our sovereign king. We enter the kingdom of thankfulness. It's a kingdom of a surrendered heart. It's the kingdom full of joy. First Peter 1 Peter 1.8 says, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The kingdom of thankfulness secures a deep conviction that God is the highly exalted king of the universe. In this kingdom of thankfulness, there is a real-time victory. That means right now, a real-time victory over the sin and destructive nature that this world and even the hidden secrets of our hearts there's real time victory over that. Think of the praise and thankful expressions that come from knowing freedom from oppressive habits, freedom from frustrating attitudes, 
I tell you, it's real, and it is now. There is victory in Jesus. It's real in this life, and it lasts for all eternity because the kingdom of thankfulness is eternal. So the question, do you know the joy, the clear victory of this kingdom? Our immediate and spontaneous response is thankfulness and praise as we surrender to the sovereign rule of Christ the King. So again, the question, do you know him today? You can be living in this kingdom of thankfulness. Simply ask Jesus to come into your heart, into your life, and to rule, and this is the key, to rule with complete access to every hidden file in your life and mind, to every part of you, who you are. He's the king. He's the sovereign king. So let him rule. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus to be our Savior. It's not that we follow a lot of rules, but we live with your Spirit in us, guiding us, encouraging us. And Lord, sometimes I am conscious of the fact that I want to rule. I want to be God. So, Father, forgive me, forgive us, that we would walk surrendered to the rule of our King, Jesus Christ. We praise you in his name. Amen.